Good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing today? Good. Happy Easter. Y'all looking sharp, looking sharp, like what I'm seeing. Uh, how, everyone doing good? Great Resurrection Sunday so far? Amen. Well, if you're new to the transit and I haven't met you yet, we're honored that you would spend your Easter Sunday with us. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today is all about Jesus. It's, it's, this isn't a performance where a church is putting on a good show. This is the redeemed of God gathering to give glory to Jesus for everything he is and everything he's done for us. And so what an awesome opportunity. Let's thank the worship team again this morning for leading us in adoration of our king. And that's what today is about. It's a day of celebration where we gather to celebrate and commemorate our Savior's resurrection and everything that means for us. And uh, C.S. Lewis, every uh, last Easter I started off my sermon in uh, a suit that looks shockingly similar to this. And also... I started with the C.S. Lewis quote, and so I'm going to keep that tradition alive, okay? So C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Basically, if the resurrection didn't happen and it was just a giant hoax, then all of us gathered today is absolutely meaningless. We could be sleeping in. We could be basically doing anything else that's more meaningful with our time. But he says this, and I love this line, and if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is the implication the resurrection of Jesus has on our lives. And the, the thread I'm kind of, kind, of, going to kind of weave through this sermon is a simple question. And it's this question, is your life secure? Is your life secure? secure, or stated differently, are you going to be all right? Do you have what you need to navigate the ferocious waters of life? Do you have assurance of what waits you on the other side? Is your life both present and future secure? And if so, why? What's the basis? What's the bedrock? Of your security. And the big idea of my talk this morning is that there is only one place to find true, eternal, everlasting security for your soul, and it's trusting in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection to new life on your behalf. That's what this morning is all about. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 27. So open up your Bibles or turn on your apps to Matthew 27, 62 through 66. I'm going to read this text. We're going to pray and dive on in. Verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to him, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so grateful, God. So grateful for the sure foundation that you are to our lives, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you for all the work that you've done, that you've prepared salvation as a gift for us, and we just get to receive it. It's all paid for with your death and your resurrection. Your life, not ours. Our sins placed on your shoulders so that we can go free and enter into your eternal rest, Lord God. So we, we just pray, Jesus, that you be magnified this morning, that you give us eyes to see the Holy Spirit. You show us Jesus where we've been obsessing with fears and the world has kind of taken our gaze off of you, Jesus, and what's rightfully ours in you that you'd bring comfort to your people, that we'd see where you're seated right now over every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and that Ephesians 2, your word in Ephesians 2 says, and we're seated there with you. And so come, take all the glory this morning. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear the great news of your resurrection and what that means for us today, Lord God. And so I just pray, come Holy Spirit, have your way with your word and with our hearts this morning. And I pray that Jesus would increase and I would decrease. And pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, hey, the context of our text that we just read is it's Saturday. In between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And less than 24 hours earlier, Jesus was scourged. He was crucified and buried in a tomb. And what we know from the other Gospels is not wanting to fall under the similar fate of their Messiah. The disciples fled, and they were hiding in fear. And Saturday morning, what we see in our text is that it's not only the disciples who are fearful, but the religious leaders of Jerusalem who conspired to put Jesus to death were also a little frightened as well. And so if you could use your imagination with me, it's Friday night. And let's say that all the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests who are responsible for putting Jesus to death are celebrating Friday night. They're popping champagne. They got the Mission Accomplished banner uh, uh, waving in, in, in the chief priest's house. And they're celebrating. We're saying, we finally put that imposter, that heretic to death. He was leading God's people astray. And we can finally put everything at rest. And then all of a sudden, somebody chimes in. Maybe Shmuel, if you watch The Chosen. And he chimes in and he goes, because he's there. He's at the party. And... And he chimes in and goes, whoa, whoa, wait a second, guys. Whoa, wait, wait, we're missing something. Did he not say that he was going to like, like rise from like the grave in, in three days? Didn't he tell his disciples that? Did you guys remember that? Whoa, whoa, we got to get ahead of the game. What if the disciples like, like pull a hoax and they try to steal the body? And then basically what they say in the text is that the, the latter fraud is going to be worse than the first. And so first thing in the morning, break of day, fellas, we got to run like frightened chickens to Pilate. We gotta say we gotta we gotta we gotta seal and secure this tomb, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, on Saturday morning, Saturday morning rolls around, and groggy-eyed Pilate is bombarded by a bunch of fearful Pharisees. And upon hearing their request to make the tomb secure, Pilate wants this behind him just as much as they do, and he buys it lock like like lock and step. He's like, yeah, we need to shut this thing down. And this is what Pilate says upon their request. On Saturday, again, Jesus was crucified for our sins. They were placed upon his shoulders on, on Good Friday. And this is Saturday morning. And Pilate said this, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, and I, this line is what I'm framing out the whole sermon for. Go and make it, <laughs> comical, as secure as you can. As secure as you can. And so they went. And it's almost, almost laughable how they try to secure the tomb that the Lion of Judah was resting in. And they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so how do you secure a tomb in the first century? Well, the first thing that you do is you seal it. You make a Home Depot run. You grab some, some clay, some mortar, 
basically Jesus' tomb, it, was, uh, uh, it would be kind of carved out into the side of a hill, and there would be a massive stone that was rolled over the entrance, and the way you would seal it is you would just, you know, patch that thing up some drywall putty, patch it up, and then the most important part about the seal was the Roman imperial stamp that was on that seal. Basically, what that stamp was, was this. If you dare break this seal, Rome will break you. Like, it's a no trespassing sign. Like, violators will be shot. Trespassers will be shot on sight. So that's how you secure is that seal. Anyone who tampers with this, Rome will break you. It's a legal offense to, 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 to mess with this tomb. And then on top of that, the way you secure it is you get some shoulders. Soldiers, not shoulders. Soldiers. Um, those might be helpful, too. Um, but you get some soldiers, and we see plural. It could be two, it could be 16, it could be, it could be a whole, we, it's a guard of soldiers. So at least, at the very least, two armed Roman guards ready to use whatever necessary force to keep anyone from getting inside that tomb. The only thing that didn't factor in was the person inside getting out. Um, that is a different story. So all that to say, this is what I'm getting at, is the seal, the clay is hardened, the soldiers are in place, and Pilate and the Pharisees Saturday afternoon are at peace. Jesus Christ is still dead and buried. We peeked in the grave. His body's still there. We rolled the stone back up. We sealed it, and we surround it with armed guards. Simply put, it's as secure as possible. Airtight mission accomplished. So returning to my question at the beginning is, is your life secure? And if so, what is the bedrock? What's the foundation of your security? And like Pilate and the Pharisees, what they did is they banked on some clay and some soldiers to keep this Jesus out of their lives. Their thought was this, if we can just keep this imposter in the grave, our lives, our plans, our wishes will be secure. Their security rested in sealing God out of their lives. That's where their security rested. I have no need for God. Let's keep him locked in this tomb. And I think tragically, uh, we often do the same things. We attempt to live our lives by sealing out God from our lives and his lordship reigning and ruling over our lives. And therefore, we place our security, our hope in everything but God. Exhibit A, pre-COVID, who wishes we could go back? Can someone make like, a time machine, like go back pre-COVID? Like don't you, your heart just like, oh, pre-COVID, right? But here, here's what I'm getting at. Pre-COVID, before everything happened in these past two years, didn't your life feel fairly secure, right? Like before any mention of God. And Christian, this applies to us as well, because sometimes we can live like practical atheists. Before any mention of God, I got my career, my career set. I got a great re retirement. Like my, my financial portfolio is diversified. And I got real estate. I got Ross. I got crypto, you know, like whatever, <laughs> not as secure, let's talk. Um, so I got my retirement, and then if that fails, well, then I have insurance. So barring some unforeseen incident, if anything were to go wrong, I have insurance. I got house insurance. I got car insurance. I got insurance on my life. Well, I'm, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. Uh, my cat has insurance. My hamster has insurance. Like, I got insurance upon insurance. I have insurance for my insurance. So all that to say is that then I have my hobbies, I have my friends, all that stuff. My life is secure before I make any mention of trust in God and yielding to the lordship of Jesus in my life. Life was great. We live in the American dream. And then all of a sudden, 
2020 happens. And what 2020 and subsequent has revealed is that the castle, this American dream castle that you thought was indestructible, has been revealed to be a castle made of sand. A castle made of sand. Placing all your chips in your retirement, placing all your chips and your insurance, and your, your life plan, and your career. And what's happened these past couple years is that the waves have started rolling in. The first one was a global pandemic, and then the next one was global and civil and political unrest and division like we've never seen it before. And then following that was economic uncertainty, where, where uh, not, not, not just your money, but where you're going to find TP this next week, right? It's uncertain. And then the icing on the cake for all of that in 2022 is now we're on the brink potentially, and this is no exaggeration, of World War III. Potential nuclear conflict globally. You're saying, oh man, 2020 hasn't touched me, 2021 hasn't touched me, 2022 hasn't touched me. Yeah, sure, your life might be secure now. But, but what we've learned these last two years is a lot can change very quickly. And it would be no surprise to me if aliens landed on the roof of the White House <laughs> next week, right? <laughs> I think all of us would be like, yeah, should have saw that coming, okay? <laughs> and so what I'm getting at with this, another C.S. Lewis quote says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I hope you've been listening. Oh, people of God and every person in the seat on the live stream, you've been listening to the voice of God yelling at you in love. They're saying that there's only one firm foundation for your soul. There's only one haven for you to run to, to find refuge. And it is in me. And it is in my son Jesus given for you to remove your obstacle of sin which separated from you from me and to bring you back home. There's only one haven that you can run to and it's vertical. It's not horizontal. It's vertical. It's not horizontal. How, the, the, the foolishness of us to bank all of our security on a world that's on fire, a dumpster fire, when we have the sure foundation of our king who's resurrected and reigning above the chaos. And he's rescued us out of it. And there's a better home that waits us. As he lives, we surely will live. Security in our lives doesn't look like keeping Jesus in the grave and keeping him out of our lives. No, no, no. True security. You hear me this. The safest place to be is letting the Lion of Judah loose in your life. That's the safest place to be, is when you yield to his lordship in your life. This alone is where true and abundant and everlasting life is found. And I couldn't help but chuckle as I was reading this text of Pilate's, uh, isn't it just amazing how like foolish humans can be sometimes? Like in the grand scheme of things, looking back, like Pilate goes to the Pharisees, make it as secure as possible. This guy's going nowhere, right? And they set a little seal, they set up some cute little soldiers and their little spears and, and swords and all that stuff. And I couldn't help but think, it's like, it's like ants are, 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 are pitting themselves against you. And so they decide to set up some, some guards at your front step. And they're like, he will not leave this house. And you're like, uh, I think I'm just going to, excuse me, guys. Like, I'm going I'm to exit, right? Or better, like, a better illustration might be this. is like a massive tidal wave is coming your way. Hundreds of billions of gallons of water go, going 
uh, going uh, hundreds of miles an hour, creating to the shore, and, and you and the Pharisees and some soldiers draw a line in the sand. And you say, stop, you can only come this far, right? They'd have better luck doing that than keeping Jesus in the grave. And so we know how the story goes. The Lord is kind enough to not honor their attempts to keep him in the grave. And even though on Saturday they tried to seal him shut, on Sunday, the third day, the Lord shot out of that tomb, forever securing our redemption. And now everything about our lives has changed. There is hope, there is security, there is everlasting love as our inheritance forever, all because of what Jesus has done. This is of zero importance if it's not true. If it's true, it's of infinite importance for us, and it changes everything. And you might say, okay, it begs the question, what security does the resurrected Jesus give to my life? And so the rest of my sermon, we're going to be in John 14, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about the implications of him being the resurrection and the life, what that means for you and for me. So turn to John 14. The context of John 14 is Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's Thursday night. He's sharing one last supper with his disciples. And this is kind of known as Jesus' deathbed message. These are the final things, John 13 all the way to chapter 17. These are the final words that Jesus is going to say to his disciples before he's betrayed that night and then crucified the next day. And I love what he says in John 14, verses 1 through 3. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. It is so hard to read that text and not get ahead of yourself and just start preaching. Okay. One, the first thing that Jesus teaches us here about the hope of his resurrection is this. Is the resurrected Jesus gives us the assurance of the present reign of the perfect king over your life. The present reign of the perfect king over your life. The most beautiful invitation Jesus can give to us is not let not your hearts be troubled. It's believe in me. It's a look to me. See, Jesus doesn't just say, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be scared. No, no, there's an exchange that has to take place. Because if you're the Lord of your life and your life rests securely in your hands, you should be terrified. You should be absolutely terrified. Because that's the most dangerous place to be. That's what Jesus is saying is, the only way for your heart to not be troubled is to take the hands off the wheel of your life and bend your knee to the lordship of Jesus and believe and trust and to look to him. There's an exchange that has to happen in your life where your security now you're saying, Lord, my life no longer belongs to me. I bend my knee and I confess Jesus that you're Lord of my life. You come in, you take ownership. Your will be done in my life. I don't want to shut you out anymore. I don't want to box you out anymore. And so what Jesus is saying is that the only way it's possible for fear not to reign in your life is when the exchange takes place and there's a transfer of trust. 
And that exchange is forsaking trust and belief in our plans and our ingenuity to secure our lives and placing them firmly in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. And so the invitation to not letting fear reign in your life is the invitation to let Jesus reign in your life by placing your faith and trust in him. And so the bottom line is this, is this is evidence of his lordship. If we think about it, who's the only person on the planet that can tell us, don't be scared, look to me. The only person that can tell us that is the one who's seated above everything we're scared about. It's the only person, like, for example, we're on a road trip, and uh, you're riding with me in one of my clunkers. Sorry, let's flip, the, let's flip it. I'm riding with you in one of your beautiful cars, okay? And all of a sudden, your engine starts smoking, and you have to pull over to the side of the road. And we're in the middle of nowhere, like, like the sticks, middle of nowhere. In that moment, Nick Mudrizo, your pastor, cannot look to you and pop the hood up and say, do not be troubled. Trust in me. <laughs> Those words will never come out of my mouth. What I would be saying is you have a lot to be concerned about because I have no idea what to do here. <laughs> Let's lay hands on and pray for this engine and pray it starts. That's, I mean, I can counsel you. Tell me about your feelings. How do you feel about this? Like that's, that's all I got, right? Like in that moment, I have no control, I have no authority, I have no power over what's happening with that engine because I'm not a mechanic. I have no clue, right? I can try to guess it or whatever. But Jesus here, the one who reigns, Ephesians 1 says, above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, he's the only one who can back up what he says when he says, don't be scared. What are you so scared of? I've conquered all of your enemies. Your greatest enemy is your sin but it's been atoned for by you trusting in my sacrifice on the cross. Your greatest enemy, the thing that separates you, no longer separates you. I'm going to take care of it. He's telling the disciples, I'm taking care of it. I'm covering the bill. Death, you're concerned about death. I'm going to rise from the grave. It's just going to be a doorway. I'm going to prepare for you a place of everlasting fellowship with me. The demonic, he's under my feet. What? Come what may. What do you have to fear? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in what he says is true. When he says he's king, when he says he's seated above it all, he means it. And the assurance we have with the resurrection of Jesus is we have the assurance of the present reign of the perfect king over our lives. Ephesians 1, 16 through 22. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I love this prayer of the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power that's towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Watch this. This is where he's seated. Far above all rule and authority and power and a dominion. Anything that could dare come against God's elect, he's already conquered it. The victory is secure. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. It's this king that says, look at me. And do not let your hearts be troubled. It's this king that says that no other earthly king could tell you that. They don't have a, <laughs> don't get me started. In, in the last eight years, I'm not, taking, I'm not taking any sides here, okay? It'll be an equal offender of both parties. Anyways, 
There's no earthly king who can promise you what Jesus promised. He can secure for you. And that was the, that, that's the biggest tragedy politically what we see in the church is us placing our hope in earthly kings who are going to fail us time and time again when we have a king who's already reigning. Over, and, and we're citizens of a far greater kingdom that can never be shaken. Why would we... Uh, I'm not going to say it. All right. I want to keep my job. All right. <sighs> Security is found when my life rests securely in the king of kings. And that's the first hope. The first thing Jesus points us to is to look to where I'm seated. Don't look at what's under my feet and coming against you. That's under my feet. Look to me. Look where I'm seated. That's the hope. You have a king reigning over your life. Two, the assurance of future glory. The assurance of future glory. The most haunting question is the second thing Jesus uh, the assurance he gives us in his resurrection, the security he gives us. One of the most haunting questions that faces humanity is what happens not if, but when we die. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, like a, a, a roll of the dice whether you and I are going to die. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the reality, this reality that terrifies us, is that we do everything in our lives to push that as far away as possible. Multivitamins, diets, exercise. I just want to kick that can down the road. Why? Because I don't want to face it. Terrified of it. I don't want to face it. Now watch this. The beautiful hope for the Christian is that there's someone who's faced death on our behalf. There's someone there who's gone before us and faced our greatest foe. And he conquered death with his death and rose to new life. That he says, in the upper room, what, what Joe Workman was quoting here is, as surely as he has risen, you will rise in glorified state with him as well. That death has just become a doorway into everlasting life. Two times in John 14, in the text we just read, Jesus says twice, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. For you. On our behalf, it was Jesus who faced our sin. He bore our punishment of death. And then he gave us empirical, historical evidence that our sin was left in the grave and our future is eternal glory with him forever. And that given our union with him by trusting in him, just as he is risen, we too will arise with him in the place that he's gone to prepare for us. And the implication here then is that death no longer has a sting, a bite for the Christian. Sure, we grieve the loss of loved ones, Sure, we, we have sorrow when we see loved ones pass away and, and we think of us, maybe, maybe uh, for us, maybe death's around the corner and we grieve, we grieve that transition. But, but at the end of the day, Jesus has conquered it. There is no more fear of death for the believer. It's a doorway to everlasting life. And let me illustrate it this way. So I have, two, I have three kids, but last summer, uh, my parents have a pool and so teaching my kids how to swim. And my oldest daughter is kind of uh, at the edge of the pool and she doesn't know how to swim yet. We're teaching her how to swim. And for her, uh, she looks at her inability to swim, and then she looks at the pool, which is a pool of death. For her, if she were to jump, she's dead. She has no power to overcome that. Unless somebody goes before her. Unless daddy walks in, and, 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 and bald out of shape daddy jumps into the water, plunges underneath that death, and rises up out of it in the shallow end, and is looking at her and saying, I've gone before you. I've gone before you. Not, isn't, isn't that a beautiful picture of the resurrection? 
What was once scary, we're on the precipice. All of us are on the precipice of death. But for the believer, it's Jesus there who's gone before us saying, jump. Saying jump. And so, so, th- so then my daughter, watch this. So my daughter, who was once fearful and shaking and all this stuff, she's looking at her fear. She looks to her daddy there who, who she knows and trusts and looks. That's, a, that's the call to belief and trust is that Jesus has gone before me. And I take what he says at his word. And so that now where she's fear, shaking in fear, now she jumps with a smile on her face. Because of the one who's gone before her, who's passed through the waters of depth, who's risen up the other side. Why? So that he can, he can catch us when we go through those same waters as well. He's gone before us. So that 1 Corinthians 15, 54 is our song. When the perishable, that's you and I, puts on imperishable, that's our resurrection, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in Jesus' victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And I'll conclude with this. I'll call up the band. Band, you come on up. And the third thing that we see in John 14, 1 through 3, that the the resurrected Jesus gives us is the assurance of everlasting love as our inheritance. The assurance of everlasting love as our inheritance. I love what Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 3. He tells his disciples, he says, I will come again. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Why did Jesus die? Why was Jesus buried? Why did he rise again? And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And what we see here, what Jesus is clearly, explicitly saying is the purpose of his death and resurrection was so that he could spend forever with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And when that world tried to shut God out and they they crucified the son of God, Jesus died for the very people that were putting him to death just for the chance that they would enter into his eternal rest forever. And the bottom line is this, is what we see in the resurrection, is that the resurrection was for the sake of relationship. The resurrection reveals the heart of God for you because where you are is where God wants to dwell. That's God's love for you, no matter what you've heard, maybe it's your first time in church for a long time, is the gospel is the love of God for sinners, the love of God for people who are trying to seal him out of their lives. And his love is shown in this. If you ever doubt God's love, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And his love was made known in this, is that this Jesus would leave his throne, he would take on flesh, he would walk among us, and he would march towards the cross and take our sin and take our punishment and our death upon his shoulders. Why? Why would he do that? What is Jesus doing in his death and resurrection? He's removing every obstacle that would keep you from God. He's removing every obstacle of sin, every obstacle of death, every stronghold of the devil. He's removing every obstacle in your life that's keeping you from eternal fellowship with the Father, with your God. And so uh, my family, I'll conclude with this illustration. We recently bought a single family uh, home in late December. Uh, for the last 10 years, we were living in sardine boxes and God had graced us with a, uh, a single family home. And it's amazing. Uh, I have a yard now. And um, it, this house was a little bit of a fixer-upper. And we got a lot of the inside kind of figured out. We're kind of settled. 
But the outside is like this, like the backyard especially is like Dagobah systems, okay? Like picture, if you know what I'm talking about, Star Wars and Yoda and like the, 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 the vines and the, the, the swamp. It's a swamp, okay? Um, man, nobody watched Star Wars. Right, anyways, um, and so for me, I'm, I'm scratching my head. I'm saying, man, I, I, we got landscapers coming, giving us estimates. I'm like, hey, we need to regrade the lawn. Uh, there's just so much dirt. The previous owner, God bless you if you're watching the live stream, uh, <laughs> left us with a lot of stuff that we'd prefer not to be back there uh, when we bought the place. And so when my kids, my precious kids that I love, go play back there, they're covered in dirt. They're tripping over the rocks. There's a ton of rocks and, and, and these pavers and all this stuff. It's, it's going to take a lot of work to get this cover. And the father's heart is this, is I want it to get regraded. I want it to not be swampy. Why? Why do I want a brand new backyard so that the, envy, the, the neighbors can look at my yard and be envious? And, wow, you got a nice yard. No, it's not that at all. That's, that's maybe a side part, but that's not it. It's the father in me. who grew up fellowshipping with his father in a big backyard. And me wanted to recreate that for my kids. And what I want to do is I want to remove the obstacles, the filth that they, that they roll around in. Because it keeps them separate from me. You can't come in the house. You got to take everything off. It's keeping us distant. So I'm removing the obstacles. I'll pay the price. I'll do it myself. Why? So that I can prepare a place, a fellowship with my kids. And that's, that's, I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying the resurrection is all about. I'm going to prepare a forever backyard for you. Laughter. Sunshine. No more tears. No more bruised knees. No more death. No more disease. No more division. That perfect home in my father's house. There's many rooms. There's a fully prepared house for you if you would just believe. If you would just receive and stop shutting me out of your life. It's all paid for by the blood of Christ. That's the beautiful hope of Christianity. And I'll wrap up here in the next two hours. The beautiful hope of Christianity is that in every other worldview, their God's demand that you work and you toil and you prepare the place for God to meet. And in the Christian worldview, Jesus Christ prepared it all for you. I don't demand my kids get on their hands and knees and get callous hands and start getting these, these religious uh, landscaping skills and, and throw out their backs from carrying all this gravel so that I can, I can, no, no, no. What Jesus did, he says, it's my nail-scarred hands that are going to take care of it. It's my back that's going to take the obstacles of your sin on my shoulders, and that's going to prepare the way. All expenses paid. Jesus covering the bill. It's all paid for. Fully finished backyard forever. That's what the resurrection gives us. That hope, that place, Jesus has gone to place for us. And Romans 6, 23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, eternal love, eternal fellowship in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Salvation is a beautiful gift. And how do you receive a gift? For those of us who've received this gift, we rejoice. It's all of his grace. 
It's all in spite of us that God has done this for us. But if you're here today and you never received it, but man, the Lord's ministering to your heart and you're saying, I want what this Jesus is offering in my life. What salvation looks like, it looks like a shift from this. Clenching your fist, boxing God out of your life, white knuckling it your way through life, being alone, being on your own to fight for your security and your hope. And it's shifting from this to this. This is how you receive the gift of salvation saying, I confess you, Jesus, as Lord, I want to stop boxing you out of my life, and I invite you into my life. Take ownership. Take lordship over my life. And this is what the hope that we have. And Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Let's pray. God, help us to see this is all real. This is not some philosophy. This is not some performance. This is not a religion. It's real. The hope of glory is real. It's coming. It's coming. He's already come once to rescue us. You don't think he's going to come again? He said it. I've gone to prepare a place for you. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. Yes, you. He's waiting. Oh, he's waiting in the backyard. He's waiting. There's a seat with your name on at his table. It's all real. Holy Spirit, come in power right now, Holy Spirit. Show us, God. Give us eyes to see. Show us it's all real. This is not make-believe. Eternal glory is our inheritance. You are reigning and ruling over all things. You are present with us by the Holy Spirit. The line of Judah is on the loose. Thank you for that reality. And Lord, we, we, we lay down our lives to you, believers and, and non-believers. I just, I just, there's an invitation today, this Easter Sunday. And the invitation is this. Stop putting your, your trust in fear. What are you scared of? What's gripped you by the throat these past two years? What's got you biting your fingernails? What's got you keeping you awake at night? The invitation is to, of Jesus in his resurrected glory and his word preached to you today is saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Look to where I'm seated. Look to what I've done. Look at my love for you. Oh, Lord, write that in our hearts. Help us to believe it, God. This is of infinite importance. It changes everything about how we live our lives, Lord God. And it was all done out of love, God, your love for us. So we bless you, and we honor you, and we celebrate you, Jesus. We say thank you for your love, that where we are for some unfathomable reason in our filth and in our sin and our rebellion is where you want to be. And you gave your life to make that possible. So thank you, Lord, for your love. And all God's people said... Amen.